All right, folks, you know what time it is. It's time for an ad for Overcast. Overcast is an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls. Just a great podcast app for everyone. As always, you can get it for free on the App Store. Hi, everyone. Wow, I'm excited to be here. I'm sure all of our wonderful panelists are as well. Um, I kind of want to give them just a chance to just say their names and what neighborhood they live in just briefly before getting into the questions, if that's okay. So I don't know if um, Melanie and Trinity can unmute yourselves and just say hi to us before we start these, this conversation. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Trinity Cologne. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I'm from the Southeast side, um, South Deering specifically. Hello, everyone. My name is Melanie, and um, I go by she, her, and I live in Hegwish, and um, that's in the 10th Ward. Yeah, um, and Chris, she, her, and I live in South Chicago, also 10th Ward. So just south of South Shore, neighborhoods are south of mine, so all south, south of South Shore. Um you may have heard, everyone, that there's a hunger strike going on. I won't talk about it too much. We'll get into those details. But in short, we are on day 21. The city has not been responsive. And it is a critical moment. Um, we're surprised and not surprised at this uh, response. It's, it's really incredible to see the city really not care about life at all, right? Um, so... Uh, this discussion, I hope, uh, is shows like this wider uh, what's going on in Chicago. Um, kind of a little bit of the history of the hunger striking in Chicago as a tactic in organizing and pushing for these really severe cases of injustices. Um, and so, to start us off, I want to ask both Melanie and Trinity. <clears throat> maybe Trinity starts, then you, Melanie. Um, but what moment got you all interested in like? What moment made you step into organizing and step into movement work? I think specifically like organizing around General Iron. It was actually when um, it was actually in the fall. I think it was in around November when we held an event, um, Neighbors in the Park. And so that was kind of um, like made to just have a lot of community and unity like during a pandemic and to like also just bring some joy in the neighborhood, but also talk a lot about General Iron. Um, and that was one of the first events that I had like actually been introduced to the work that people were doing and been a panelist on their panel and kind of was learning about what General Iron was and organizing for it. Like I wasn't even in it yet and it hadn't even, had, hadn't even escalated to the point where it is now. So I think just being there and like seeing all my community members like together, like in that moment, I was just like, this is what I want to do. Like, this is who I want to work for. This is who that I want to keep supporting. Like, this is who I want to devote my time to. Um, and so after that, um, the organizations that like helped create it and like that were there, um, United Neighbors of the 10th Ward, shout out, Bridges, shout out, <laughs> um, Southeast Environmental Task Force, shout out, Southeast, Sol Southeast Side Coalition event, Pet Cook, shout out. Um, they were all just there and just the support and the solidarity that I saw in that and also the crazy injustices that were happening. Um, because previously before that, I had been organizing around um, cops out of CPS, and I had been organizing for abolition um, in schools. 
So that was really hard. Um, and, you know, Lori was pushing back on that hard too. So, you know, me and Lori, we have a little bit of a personal, <laughs> yeah, just kidding. But um, yeah, I think that that was really the moment when I started to become more interested and become like organizing with the campaign. Um, well, I kind of first got into organizing things. I think it was the summer of 2019, I believe. I had a, a racial incident happen to me in my neighborhood. And um, I don't know if any of you know Sam Corona. He's also an organizer. I think he is with Bridges. Um, he reached out to me and uh, kind of helped me organize some small movements, but very powerful still uh, in Hegwish. And that was kind of like the start for me. He's been kind of like a mentor. And, you know, ever since then, I have done other things in Hegwish at the Southeast side with, you know, other people. And I really enjoy it um, because a lot of the times when an injustice happens, people are scared to speak up because many reasons. We don't know color, um, the place where they live, um, you know, the amount of money that they make, they might just be scared. And um, I was kind of scared to speak up about what happened to me um, in 2019. But I realized that people shouldn't be scared because if they are and they don't talk, then that's what lets things continue and, you know, get even worse. So um, it feels kind of cool being in the sense, the vo a voice for people who, who can't or are too scared. So, so yeah. For those who are unfamiliar with the Southeast side, a little bit of context of these neighborhoods, Hegwish is a traditionally pro-cop, Blue Lives Matter, blue Christmas lights every day of the year outside, blue line flags everywhere. Um, kind of place, <laughs> but it's also a very, it's also where Melanie lives and where our other hunger strikers live. So it's getting a lot of this, you know, black and brown mix that is the Southeast side is now going into Hegwish as well. And it's forcing Hegwish to have this conversation and not really conversation, confrontation. And, and during the summer, there was very intense and you know blue lives matter protest and and a kind of counter protest organized by by melanie here among others and i think melanie if i'm not uh by understand also was one of the first in to get the whole southeast side organized on a single chat on facebook so with the what the heart of the voiceless was the chat so there's a lot of this grassroots organizing, like really literally just in the moment, but also in the context of summer of 2020, May 2020, Black Lives Matter and everything that was going on. And it's a shift in the Southeast side that I haven't seen in my whole time of organizing. Um, so, all right, a little bit off topic. We just wanted to give some context to that. Okay. Um, I wonder if either of you could talk a little bit about the corruption and and kind of the the blatancy of the injustices. Um, I think I can go first. I think that 
like the first, like when people ask me like like how bad like is it really like are you guys exaggerating like about like the pollution of like about how like the southeast side is like really industrial um and what i always tell them is i live in south Daring and i can go outside and i can see the industry outside i can go i go outside not even walk like five feet and i turn my head and i just see the smoke coming from the factory i see the smoke coming from these fires i see the river and like the big viaduct it's it's crazy. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think really the blatancy is just kind of talking about like about how we've been historically for so many years already. Um, and time and time, companies, industries keep coming here and releasing really bad toxins. Um, one of them is like particulate matter. So that's what happens when a metal shredder, um, you know, ejects that kind of toxic dust into the air. And it's really bad um, for our health. Um, growing up, I always thought that having asthma was normal because these kinds of industries were like really normalized um, in the southeast side. So I was like, I wonder why I don't have asthma. <laughs> like asthma is cool. Like everybody has it. And I'm just joking. It's not cool. <laughs> but um, yeah. Um, also, like at my school, because I went to a CPS school um, in the southeast side, like by South Chicago in slag, which is um, like a slang for that term because a lot of slag like toxins it's actually terrible um name for our neighborhood but um I went to John L Marsh and we would actually have asthma vans come and like they would take like half of the students out I was in like third grade and I was so happy because our teacher wasn't saying anything and she was like okay we have a free day because like half of the classroom has asthma and so they're all going to get measured and get tested for it and we're like okay <laughs> And like growing up now, I realized that that's because of companies like General Iron. And even more so, not only General Iron, it's because of Mary Lori Lightfoot. It's because of CDPH. It's because of the city of Chicago um, is not valuing our community. And so it's just, and it's gotten to the point where we're tired. And now some of our organizers are hunger striking and it's day 21. Um, and I just think that that a lot, that in that sentence says so much like I don't even know what to say after I say that like I'm heartbroken I'm hurt like I'm hurting like every day like it's on my mind like the hunger strikers like their health like my friends like ugh. and one of my one of the hunger strikers is like my teacher he's a staff member at my school at George Washington and I know that like his students feel that too like because like he's still teaching <laughs> and um, I'm also an LSC member so like a local school um, student rep member at my high school and he's our vice chairperson who just took that position on so it's really hard to but it keeps me going and I know that like our community keeps them going but it's really hard to know that um our community has been pushed to these limits I hope that answered that question thanks Trinity and Melanie do you have anything to talk about the levels of corruption and injustice that have brought us to this moment yeah if you take a look at like the Southeast side in South Chicago, um, most of our schools are pretty run down as you were mentioning um, Trinity. And we don't really have like the best resources. We don't have any like after school clubs that you can really go to or anything. Um, they don't like to invest in our people or in our community. Um, I don't know if you guys remember Aunt Martha's, it was at St. Florian. I mean, that got kicked out, but how is it allowed for all these companies to come and take over like General Iron is trying to do or 
I don't know. We just never get anything. We, you guys might know us because of that new little bridge we have that Ford paid for because their cars were getting stuck by the train. So like, it's, it's okay for companies to do things when it's in their favor. But for us, like, why hasn't any company invested in the local park or any of the schools or anything? It's all about the money. Not really with any regard for the people who live here. Yeah, it's a very, like I said, um, the surprising and unsurprising part, right? It's like we know this because this has been our history, right? So we know this to be true. As Trinity said, slag, slag is a um like the byproduct of, of steel production. And it's just so there's neighborhood is called Slag Valley. They just went and dumped all that there. <laughs> and that's what it's called, Slag Valley. Um the, there's already manganese spills that still have not been <laughs> exactly. We're still proud, right? Very proud Southeast side. Um, and so we have manganese spills. We had open piles of pet coke. I mean, this is already the most contaminated area with particulate matter, as Trinity said, even without general iron, right? Like it's, it's already the situation. And so um, this, complete negligence <laughs> it seemed to be indifference um and then we see the money tracing back to even previous to Lori Lightfoot with Rahm Emanuel and and you see the you know this corruption is is literally profit over people um and so with that analysis <laughs> um I think to I'm not too sure how much Trinity or Melanie know, um, or if any, I know Matt couldn't be here to speak about the Diet High School, but to talk about um, that, again, that profit over people. Uh, hunger striking has been used before in Chicago, um, the last most recent case being Diet High School, in which it was, you know, one of these situations in privatization and charter school just depleting um, a local school of its resources to the point that it's going to close down for having so few kids, but also absolutely no support. Like many of our schools on the Southeast side here, like Jay and Thorpe, like Bowen, Washington actually doesn't have any charters around. So it's kind of okay. Um, but it has general iron. That's why. <laughs> so it has all the industry around it. Um, so this is a legacy that we're building off of, right? This is not new. You know, um, the Southeast side has been organizing in environmental issues for a very long time. And it brings up this question, as Melanie was saying, like, we just don't get anything. And this is, this is a nothing, right? Like, this is a not, this is a not anything worse. But sometimes we'd like to think about what could it be? What, what, could, what are the possibilities, you know, for our neighborhood? So I kind of want to talk about, and if you all can talk about the housing and the like, how this development and what kind of development and how development has impacted us and, and those issues because they're central to this. Maybe I can go first. I'll probably keep going in that order. I'm guessing to make it easier. But um, so for housing, I live in um, Slack Valley, 
nice little nickname. It's actually not nice, but um, I live in an apartment. I live in a three bedroom apartment. Um, I've been here for a very long time. <laughs> I've been here since I was born. Um, can't afford to move. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I'm not kidding. Um, I think that it's been hard to move. Um, like in terms of housing, like because housing is so expensive in this area, which is crazy because it's over polluted <laughs> and because there's not many resources. Um, so I've lived here for a very long time. My mom and my family have lived here for a long time. Um, and kind of like on the, like when we're talking about infrastructure, um, I go to George Washington High School, which is a neighborhood school. So obviously like we don't get like private funding like selective enrollment schools do. Um, like schools like Jones, schools like Whitney Young. Um, and I feel like kind of, we're always talking about like the Southeast side is like a forgotten city. And I definitely feel like um, Washington is like a forgotten school sometimes. Um, it took students um, asking our principal a few years back, not the current principal, but um, asking for a new roof. And we finally got it after like five years of um, student voice committee students advocating for it through a club. So like student activism is really what helps keeps that school going, you know, because we're not getting that funding um, because we keep having these these awful disparities between north side schools and south side schools. Um, I remember my freshman year, I was walking through the hallway. I was walking in my lunchroom and I actually had like the roof water. I have no idea what that is. I'm not going to lie, like a busted pipe. And it was just it drips like down me and it was like right here. And I was like about to throw up and I ran to the bathroom. It was the worst thing in my life. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just kind of sad, like about how normalized that was like among me, like among my peers. And like we would laugh and we would joke about it. But like on the inside, it was kind of sad that like we're making a joke that like our building is broken. Like we're making a joke that like our community garden hasn't like been prospering or been alive in years. So like to kind of talk about infrastructure and housing it's definitely like we talk about environmental racism. Like we're talking about like greenery and we're talking about like industries coming and polluting neighborhoods. But like to me, like environment, like what are South Side kids seeing when they walk into school? Well, when they used to walk into school, I guess. Um, and it's just, you know, feeling like you're not being valued by the city, like feeling like you're kind of always being left out or like you're not getting like what you want or what you're feeling like you don't even deserve it at that point. Like feeling like your school doesn't even deserve to have these nice things. I think that that's really kind of what goes down to it. It's the root of it all. But like the city has even convinced its residents that we don't deserve it. But now through community organizing, we see past that and we get it for ourselves. Thank you. Okay, go ahead, Melanie. Well, housing over here. Mm. I guess it's like a mix of things. Some people live in apartments. Some people live in actual houses. Um, I believe that Hegwish has like a section eight part of it in some apartments. Um, and then also over in South Deering, we have a project. So I believe it's called Trumbull. Um, and then... Not too far from us, there's another uh, housing project called The Gardens, and I'm very familiar with that because I went to school there. Um, and they have also suffered from a lot of environmental racism. Um, so, yeah, um, the city tries to keep our area pretty low, even with the housing, giving us a lot of housing projects. Um, so that's kind of how we're, we're set up. Um, 
we just we just get bad everything, bad air, bad housing. So there's a couple of questions in the chat that I'm seeing. We'll get to them. I just want to introduce our last speaker and then open it up to the Q&A. But we have these talks about industry and then we have, uh, I guess, this reflection of the Green New Deal and the possibilities of, of alternatives, I guess, but not in the way that this is like, they're trying to green General Iron telling us that it's not going to kill us. But what are the real possibilities <laughs> for a real Green New Deal? What would that mean for the Southeast side? So I want to turn it over to Rory here to give us a little talk on that. Sure. Thank you very much, Crystal. Um, hey, everybody. Super glad to be here. Um, the humbling, really empowering and like passionate just to learn and be in the same spaces as Melanie and Trist Trinity to hear where this is coming from in the struggle and understanding and positioning it in a kind of longer history of uh, working class organizing, organizing around environmental racism, and uh, thinking about how do we kind of situate this fight in a larger context uh, of climate change, of displacement, of segregation, and of environmental racism. So my name is Rory. I use they, them, and he, him pronouns. Uh, I am the co-chair of the Democratized ComEd campaign, and I also sit on the Eco-Socialist Working Group uh, as a steering committee member uh, for DSA nationally. I was fortunate enough to interview a couple of hunger strikers for Rampant Magazine. I interviewed Brianna and Oscar, who are on their 21st day. They are on their third week of a hunger strike and understanding kind of how powerful and how much of a sacrifice it really takes uh, in order to make that chance for your community, right? Like a hunger strike comes at significant personal healthcare risk, but what one does it for is like building a deeper sense of community and fighting to build a stronger community sense that is collective, right? So it's a personal sacrifice for a collective benefit and for a collective activated future. So understanding that the Southeast side has a long history in kind of the labor history of Chicago. It has a long history in terms of being a site of disposal or a site of somehow set off from the rest of Chicago and seen as, well, this is just kind of the place that these kind of industries belong. But a moment where that opportunity, like where that gets seen to be what it really is and how it fits into the racist history of Chicago, particularly with changes around neighborhoods like Lincoln Yards in the north side near Goose Island, when an industrial polluter leaves a predominantly white community to travel into a predominantly BIPOC, a predominantly Latinx working class neighborhood, you know, why is it that we as a city settle for these dangerous, dirty, polluting, um, explosive and toxic kind of neighbors, corporate polluters. When we say it's not right for a white neighborhood, why do we shift it over into communities of color and, and, and working class neighborhoods? So through our work at Democratize ComEd, we're pushing for a greener, more equitable, aware, resilient future along the pathway of fighting for a Green New Deal, an understanding that truly 
creating a more resilient, verdant, healthy, and equitable Chicago comes out of that energy future. So why is it that, and this was what I was hearing in, in Melanie's points and, Tr- and, Tr- and Trinity's points, that we have elected officials who dress up the general iron relocation, the RMG plan as, oh, this will be green, this will be creating new jobs on the Southeast side. Why can't we instead orient our fight for true, powerful work that is not simply uh, the shifting of an environmental burden to communities of color? So that's an important and activating feature of our work here in Chicago and is related to a larger amount of climate change work, of uh, racial justice work that is happening all across the country. And so I really want to uplift and support and understand and and be here in the space with why do those uh, changes and shifts towards taking that personal risk of a hunger strike, how does that bring us towards a more equitable and resilient future? And maybe I'll have Melanie talk to us a little bit about the hunger strike itself as a tactic and why you have chosen to be a part of it. And also, yeah, just tell me a little bit about your experience carrying out this very um, intense form of direct action. Well, my experience with the hunger strike, it hasn't been easy. Today wasn't an easy day. I didn't want to get up. I was tired. I, I was just not in the mood for anything today. And yesterday was different. I was very happy. I was excited. I had so much energy. So we kind of have these spikes of we're so energetic and we have so much adrenaline and then then we just crash. And it's been really difficult. Um, I think it's been difficult for all of the hunger strikers. Um, Our mood changes. Um, We just get like these symptoms that are just kind of like out of whack, kind of like, we'll just be really cold. Like imagine the coldest you've ever been in your life. That's just how we feel like for extended hours of time. Or sometimes I feel like I have a headache or kind of like I'm floating, not fully there. I don't know. It's just, it's not something good to feel. So we're all kind of going through it. And, um, I wanted to join, um, after I saw, um, that the first round of hunger strikers uh, was doing it. And then the second round was going to come out when I became interested. And I just thought that it was a very interesting way to get some attention from people because um, I have seen things for general iron, you know, going on in the neighborhood for, you know, one of the first things that I saw was uh, the bike, um, March. And that was so long ago, like it was hot out. And it's like, wow, this permit still hasn't been denied. Like, okay, so I'm going to join and try and and get it denied because our efforts seem to be failing. So it's like, okay, what, what can we do to get um, the mayor's attention and Dr. Arwadi to really listen to us and everybody else? And it has worked. It definitely has worked to get attention from others. Maybe not from Lori. I don't think she cares that we're starving, but, um, 
it has helped gain attention and put a spotlight on the Southeast side, which is often like people don't even know where we are. They always think we're Indiana or like East Chicago. So, you know, at least we're getting some attention now. And um, we've been getting attention since we've kind of been doing the rallies for the Black Lives Matter and um, the General Iron stuff. And our neighborhood has taken the turn for the better because, you know, the people who are familiar know that this was, you know, kind of a very, I don't know, segregated racial neighborhood. And we're finally starting to really become a community and um, be able to lean on each other for things. Um, Especially with this COVID, you know, we had a love fridge pop up, which I think is really amazing that we just get to help our neighbors and really like, we get to stop being so mean. Cause I feel like that's what it is. Everybody was so mean, kind of didn't like each other. And now we're kind of like, Hey, we're neighbors. Let's help each other out. You know, there's worse stuff going on than to, uh, have to, you know, be mad at each other or never talk to each other. So I've met so many people with these, you know, community gatherings and things that we had. And it's just been amazing to see support and the support growing from other communities that, you know, probably didn't even know we existed until this. And, you know, it's a bad way to reunite with people, but you know what, it's happening and we're getting noticed. So, um, yeah. And I think I forgot the rest of the question, but I got excited. All right. I'm going to go back to a couple of questions in the chat. Um, I'm sure both of you are passionate about talking about these. Can one of you talk about what our older person is doing about our situation? And then uh, who wants to address a little bit more the relocation aspect from Lincoln Park to the Southeast side? To speak on a little bit about um, our older woman and like her efforts towards um, our campaign and like her support, quote unquote, is um, so at least um, for me, I joined um, the campaign, maybe not in the very beginning, because this has been going on for a very long time. Um, so I think I joined like a bit midway. I don't know. We're still kicking. So we'll see. We'll see how long um, it really goes until the end. But um, so we, as young people, I'm not the only like student leader at Washington. There's a bunch of other great ones. Um, one who's supposed to be a panelist, but can't be here today, but his name is Gregory Miller. He's the best. <laughs> and um, so we all collaborated together and we all decided um, kind of after a few of the bike rallies and the bike protests that Bridges had done, um, a community organization in the 10th Ward, <laughs> shout out. But um, we decided as young people that we wanted to hold our own action we wanted to invite like community orgs and kind of start acting as an organization of just, you know, these students banded together who want to do something about this polluter coming less than a mile near them. That's their site. And, you know, coming to our neighborhood where we live and not only where we learn. So we came together and we planned um, rallies at Washington, but at our Washington rally, we actually decided that we would march to our Alderwoman Sue Garza's house. Um, and that was successful because we did march through the streets. Um, we had bridges backing us up with a little car. We just had like, <laughs> I think it was like over a hundred people, but there was just like so many students, like 
I'm talking, you know, people are 14, 15, I'm 17. Um, I had some freshman leaders with me who are like barely 14, 15, I said that, but yeah, it was really empowering to see all those young people. So we walk up to her house to try turning the doorbell. Um, policeman wouldn't let me, he got mad at me. Um, he said no. But um, after that action, we hadn't heard any word from Garza. Um, we hadn't had like a public response. We hadn't had a letter. Um, and I think that that was really telling because it was young people. Like, it's not like she was ignoring community members. It's not like she was gaslighting adults. Like, she was gaslighting and ignoring what the demands were of young people. These people, and then there was people younger than 14, 15 there. There were little kids there. There were elementary students there. So I think that that already tells us a lot about kind of what our alderman is saying about um, all this. And actually, she sent out... Um, she addressed it publicly in a letter. Maybe somebody else can speak more on this too. But um, so she's calling for the delay of the permit, not the denial of the permit. Um, so it's very much, very, um, very close with um, Mayor Lori, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. They're very close. So I think that that has a lot to do with it. But um, unfortunately, you know, the office, of the tenth, the office of the tenth ward does a good job in protecting us. But when it comes to General Iron. And Sue Garza specifically, I don't know if that's the truth. I don't know if, Melly and me, you want to address a little bit of the money in this? Um, in terms of, has General Iron given Sue Garza money? Mm, I'm not sure, but they, I believe they gave her money. And I believe they gave um, Lori some money, too. Um, so I think we're regressing back into like this, uh, ROM era. So yeah, I think it's very clear that Sue, um, doesn't care if General Iron is here because she's getting paid off. And it's also really sad that, um, how you said Trinity, that there was, you know, a bunch of young people, you know, a bunch of elementary school students protesting outside her house because wasn't she the principal of one of these schools or something like you you really don't care about the kids that you're supposed to care about like that that shows a lot but yeah um I've tagged her on some stuff on Instagram she watches it I don't, I mean she knows we're mad at her and then um she kind of does this interview uh kind of just I don't know it was just mean she was mean she just looked like a really mean lady <laughs> Uh, and yeah, um, I don't think she's going to be on our side. Uh, that's why we have to have other alder people from different wards come support us like, uh, Byron and Rosanna. Thank you so much. And to everybody else who's been supporting us, but mm, yeah, not all, not our alder woman. A little bit more background on it. It's not entirely clear, right? We don't have access to everything, but there is this suspicion and, and a little bit of a paper trail that Sue knew about General Iron from like before and that, you know, didn't tell her community about it until it was already in some phase advanced. So now that we're now that now we're caught scrambling in the midst of a pandemic, right? Or we can't even have a meeting with each other <laughs> um, or how to build out a movement, right? When you can't see anybody. Um, or have any of these events where you meet and build as a community. 
yes, there is money involved. Uh, there, uh, Carlos put in the chat, uh, General Irons financial contributions. There is another question here. Do us on the Southeast side see ourselves as part of the broader Calumet region? What are the aspirations for our neighborhood um, and the city and the region? Oh, wait, let's look at this money thing before I keep on reading the question. Here we can see. <laughs> so I said it goes back to um, to Emmanuel, you see. Um, and for nothing, really. It's really so sad that for $9,000 or so, it's barely profit over people. This is this is one of this is some of the situation that we face. Um, to take it back to the question is how do we see ourselves within the larger Calumet region and possibilities like what we would like to see our neighborhood, how we would like to see our neighborhood develop. Well, I personally would like to see some youth centers open up in uh, South Chicago, East Side, or Hegwish. You know, in this area. We need something um, for the kids to do, especially right now uh, during COVID, where a lot of children have to stay at home and they might not be in the um, best environment because of housing and they might not, you know, have food or they might not be getting all the attention that they need from their teacher to learn. It would be nice if we had some community centers who could, you know, help with food, help with homework, some sports, you know, maybe some mental health, some refers to the doctor, some dentist appointments, like something, you know, I would just like to see more things invested in our youth. Um, definitely a better construction of our schools. Uh, I went to Clay. Um, my daughter goes to Clay now. I've walked in there before. It hasn't changed a bit. And, you know, now that my child is going there, I think they need some updates because if it still looks like it did when my uncle went there and now my child's going there, something's wrong. We need some updates. And of course, you know, um, bettering the air <laughs> and hopefully not. I, I really hope that this movement to get a uh, general iron out, um, really sets a high standard for the Southeast side uh, just for companies to know that you just can't come in here and, you know, mess with us because I know that there is another company. There's a proposal for a company kind of, I think in the same space as general iron, but underground, like 200 to 300 feet underground. And um, I think it's a mining company. I, I don't exactly know what they're going to be doing there, but probably nothing good. So I just want to highlight that point that uh, Melanie brought up about this is really like setting and with this win that we will have, <laughs> it will set a precedent for, for, for South Chicago and for the Southeast side and like challenging, I, I, I referred to this several times in other spaces, but challenging that one map of Chicago that we have, like, that the Southeast side is always this, that the West side is always this, the North side is always like this. And no matter how many like different ways you try to measure the city, it always comes out the same. <laughs> and so this is a first step and this movement is a first step of really challenging. Like it's not, 
we're not really achieving anything in terms of policy because even the air ordinance is a mess. Um, but this precedent of organizing and of community power being like, you know, <laughs> you know, and at this brink of climate change, when we have this larger understanding of what, you know, not just ourselves locally, but in the world, um, I think it's, you know, we want to be a, pre a set precedent for, because as Melanie said, we're going to be facing this Ozinga mining something, computer storage for Google after they mine for five years or something thing <laughs> in terms of like green, green, but still shitty. And so this isn't the first thing in other communities. We have McKinley Park. We still have Little Village. We still have Pilsen. We still have all these areas. And so we hope to be that precedent. Um, Trinity, what kind of development development would you like to see? And, and and just to finalize, I think it's unfair that what our neighborhoods get is either contamination or gentrification. And those are like the only two developments that are offered to, to neighborhoods like, like ours. Go ahead, Trinity. Yeah, definitely great point there. Um, I definitely feel that because my corner store has gotten super gentrified lately. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is looking a little too nice for here. Like it looks out of place. Funny. But um, I think that the Southeast side in like slag, like where I live, um, has been a dumping ground like for so long. And that's why like Chicago officials, like even like our old older women in our own mayor are okay with just allowing general iron here and allowing like this new mining company. I'm like, well, because we're just like, okay, that's just who we are. Like, that's just like what we are now. Like, we're just that. Like, and I think that it's very much that concrete idea of the Southeast side is for this, the North side is for this, you know, like the North side is for the good schools. The Southeast side is where, uh, where all the industry goes, where we get all our things from, like the scrapyard. Um, and so I think changing that narrative would be valuable to not only our community, but it's also every other community. Um, you know, it's not, it doesn't feel good being the scapegoat, but it also doesn't feel good. I know for Northsiders to be, you know, feeding into that scapegoat kind of scheme that the Chicago is playing on all of us. Cause like growing up, I thought it was, um, South side versus North side. And that's just how I was always taught. It was like, they have the nicer things. They have the better air. They have trees. <laughs> they don't have pollution and they're bad. But in reality, that's just what the city of Chicago wants us to think like it's very segregated. Um, redlining is still a thing. Um, implications of that are still around very much. Um, so I think that we feel that a lot. But now, like with community work, I feel so united with the North Side. They're always helping us. And um, our aldermans and our aldermans there are always really providing us a lot of support, especially in the move against General Iron. And Lincoln Park has also provided their organizers have provided support as well um, because General Iron is not a good neighbor. <laughs> Sorry, I got a little off topic. But as for the betterment of our neighborhoods, I definitely, definitely can echo that part, Melanie, about um, your son being at Clay, because my mom and my dad went to George Washington High School, and they're like, oh, this looks the exact same. I'm like, oh, that's a little problem. Um, it looks the exact same. That was like a while ago. That was like in the 80s, girl. But um, I think definitely seeing not only my community um, get better and like when we talk about gentrification, like I'm not talking about the city coming in here and being like, we'll put this in place for you. We'll do this for you. I'm talking like our city is giving our community, our great community organizers, this money, this funding and saying, here's the money. You do what you want with it. You do what you think is best for your community. Because if the, 
the same oppressor is trying to give us tools to rebuild our community, they're not going to do us any good. It's literally just gentrification, beautification. You can't, um, Oscar, um, he has like a great quote that he said one time that always sticks with me and it's, um, you can't beautify what's killing us. So I think definitely if we had, you know, some federal money or some money from the state or from Lori, like pity money, it definitely wouldn't be out of the kindness. So I definitely want to see more of that community input, like community policing, not policing, community safety, community um, building parks, communities coming together to do events and having money for them would be really great. Um, they're always really great events. I always feel super loved, super in unity with them when those come. Um, and sorry but to get off topic, but for my school, um, definitely would like to have a garden at our school. Um, and something great is that the Southeast Youth Alliance, another shout out, is um, helping us. Like, as I said, the community, we help each other. We keep each other safe. We keep each other fed. We keep each other, you know, happy. <laughs> um, are um, donating like some of their grant to us and we get to plant trees at Washington at Rowan Park, um, the nearby park. So that's really nice. But yeah, I think just the betterment of the community would be having like my friends come over like from like Indiana. I have some friends in Indiana since the Southeast side is like on the border, like having my friends be like, your community is so nice. Like I want to stay here. And like me not having to be like, guys, your community in Hammond is so nice. I want to stay here. <laughs> Like, I think that it would be nice, like, just for somebody to walk in my neighborhood and be like, this is a really nice place. Like, I really like like it here. Like, the way I do to other communities would be awesome. Yeah, um, I can definitely, I have that same feeling, hi, Trinity. You. Oh, hi. I have my kid here, too, saying hi. <laughs> um, say hi, Sonali. Hi. Hi. Say hi. <laughs> I remember having that experience because I always lived here in South Chicago, 87th and Baltimore. Um, but I would go to school in Hyde Park for elementary. I'd be like, what is this? <laughs> like, not even 15 minutes away and like a whole, you know, other planet. And so, and I still go there. I'm like, oh, yeah. Hyde Park, it's this, you know, and so I just, what's motivating, there's a question here, what's motivating General Ion's relocation is that, that where, you know, zoning, so they had that, it was a zone where General Iron could operate, but they rezoned it so that it's no longer, you know, in the industrial, it's no longer allowed to operate there. Um, part of a, part of a whole, like, development plan there to use all that industrial area kind of like gentrification, but it's already the north side. So they're just going to really just get all the industry out of it and make it all nice. Just finish Ow. the work. <laughs> um, and so our neighborhood, our area over here is still zoned Hi. for industry. Gracias. Um, but as we know, and relating it back to that map of Chicago, that so same zoning is back in the 1950s and 60s. That hasn't um, yeah, really been changed. And so answer your question in there um hey marcelina oh you went to school in high park too it's crazy right it's a, two worlds um okay i'm going to mute myself and probably pass the facilitation over to carlos um but uh it's open for questions thanks Cristali. 
Um, so another uh, kind of related to that, that question about what motivated General Irons relocation uh, was the question about um, the Lincoln Yards project in the north side that you were kind of alluding to, Cristali, um, and kind of like what that, how that is related to the relocation. Um, Trinity, is that something that you feel comfortable speaking on? Like kind of like what Lincoln Yards is and how it kind of like helped motivate this relocation? I think maybe not like to the full extent. I think, but I saw something in the chat about like, um, like how it got, like how Darren was like, okay, we're going to reallocate to the Southeast side. So I can kind of talk about that. Um, basically, um, they kind of got kicked out. <laughs> General Iron kind of got kicked out by Lincoln Yards and by Lincoln Park um, because they weren't being, they weren't being a good neighbor. They had lots of explosions there. Um, they weren't following a lot of guidelines. And so like the community organizers there were definitely not okay with General Iron being there. And that's why they got zoned out. And that's where they were like, okay, well, actually, nothing happened. We're actually just reallocating. We're just relocating. We're just reallocating um, to the southeast side. Like, no, you got kicked out by the north side, and now you're like, I know these people won't kick me out because these people are used to this stuff. So I'll be fine here. That's honestly the reality. <laughs> yep. Oh, yes, and it's here. But um, yeah, that's <laughs> that's definitely what happened. Um, and they try to cover it up. And I'm not really super involved with the specific details because I still go to school and I do all this other stuff. Um, but I'm very grateful to the organizers who do their work. Um, I don't know that much, but for that much, I do know. I know that they got kicked out. And a lot of a lot of times I see people saying like, oh, um, my friend is from Lincoln Park and they're probably like, oh my gosh, like stop posting this stuff about General Iron. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. We're in solidarity on this. Like, we don't want General Iron anywhere near this city's limits. RMG is a corrupt company. Um, they base profit over people, which most companies do, but I'm not here to talk about that right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, and especially be, dirt, giving dirty money, um, giving money to Sue, giving money to Lori um, to, and other aldermen and other, other women to stop, um, to not pass any policies on that and to protect themselves instead of protecting people and their lungs, and especially black and brown communities, which is where it's reallocated to. That's my spiel, I guess. No, that was great, Trinity. Uh, thank you so much. Um, Rory, I think you have a little bit of familiarity uh, about the kind of like, like what Lincoln Yards is, as you know, like where the kind of like project came out of. Um, is that something that you can kind of give a little more background into? Yeah, I can provide a little bit of context um, and then try and resituate it in terms of like, how do these capital flows in the city of Chicago, how are they oriented? Where do they end up and who benefits and, and who takes on the consequences of those? So, so Lincoln Yards is an area on the north branch of the Chicago River that has historically had um, a large number of industrial type uh, land uses, industrial type developments. Um, Indeed, Ozinga, the, comp the company Ozinga that was mentioned, there are a number of different kind of uh, building trades, um, different kind of shipping, transportation, heavy industrial uses that took place along the Chicago River as being that kind of artery of transport in, in, in Chicago. Recently, along with a larger shift of kind of real estate development um, towards these kind of up and coming quote unquote neighborhoods of Chicago uh, have started to see the land that had previously been given over to these large factories, large tanneries, large 
industrial uses of many different kinds and said, oh, we can create the same kind of, you know, Silicon Valley type tech, high value, high dollars per square foot real estate that has happened to, for example, the West Loop, um, maybe over the last decade, right, where industrial, often food related industry gave way to a large number of kind of very gleaming, very shiny skyscrapers that were oriented around these profitable developments. So there's a lot of money behind that. And what I hear in Trinity's points and Melanie's points is that understanding, and Crystal kind of talked about this a little bit, right? You travel to different parts of the city and you really understand like, ours is a city that's doing pretty well in places. Like there's a lot of money here. There's a lot of value and power and money that's invested in different pockets of our city. And that's true of our country as a whole. We're a wealthy country in certain places. If we chose to redistribute that and chose to orient that in a way that matched the priorities of people, of health, of families, of breathable air, of clean water, of open spaces and parks, of the vitality of communities, of the power of young people in uh, youth programs and our schools that have had these decades upon decades of disinvestment, that disinvestment there is a choice. And so when country, uh, when, when companies rather like General Iron, you can see in this flowchart that we're sharing here, choose to spend this money and send this money into the pockets of elected officials, it's not because they don't know how to do the right thing in their communities. It's because they've determined it's more profitable for them. It's more suitable for them to kind of grease the wheels of Chicago, a notoriously corrupt city, instead of doing the right thing, instead of prioritizing communities and families and understand, hey, we're in Chicago, we're proud to be here. We don't deserve um, receiving or being pushed onto all of these kind of negative, dangerous, you know, bad, unneighborly type behavior of these corporate polluters. That this is the kind of thing that, Chicago could really stand up for and stand in solidarity and understand the ways in which the North side and the South side and the West side have historically been pitted against each other. Ultimately, the power of solidarity and the power of working together to fight these environmental injustices is the strongest force that is, that is part of Chicago today. I see it. Thank you so much for adding that context, Rory. Um, and also to Trinity's point, um, like General Iron definitely was kicked out of the north side along with the kind of like you know development that, that came in and kind of like shifted them away and uh you know she mentioned the fires and explosions that were happening there was actually one that happened uh around march that actually forced them to temporarily shut down operations um and actually through the summer um as the kind of like struggle in the southeast side was kind of heating up um and uh they were allowed to uh restart business around the fall um, right prior to the, you know, prior to them shutting down permanently to relocate. And they actually, uh, believe it or not, had another fire in November, uh, kind of like a one last FU to, to the community that was kicking them out. And then just to, to Trinity's point as well, uh, there are folks like, you know, Clean the North Branch, uh, kind of like uh, environmental justice organization in the North side who kind of like, who, who were uh, behind, you know, like the decades of organizing to, to, to push them out, calling, saying, calling them what they were, like saying that they weren't a good neighbor. And the folks in, in Clean the North Branch have actually been like some of the, the biggest allies uh, to the folks in the Southeast side. So it's been beautiful to see that kind of like, you know, solidarity across the city and saying they weren't good enough for our neighborhood here 
in the north side, they're they're definitely not good enough for the south side. So that that point is a, a crucial one. Uh, there's a really good question. Um, I mean, we can bring it back a little more specifically about the hunger strike that's ongoing. Uh, about what is the best way that folks who either don't live in the in the southeast side or don't live in Chicago, like how can they help? Uh, you know, uh, how can they help contribute? Uh, uh, maybe uh, Melanie, since since you've been uh, you know on this hunger strike, maybe you can take that question on. So there's a lot of ways to help. Um, you can follow our Instagram page. You can follow our Twitter page where we post updates um, or we post events kind of like uh, our vigil that we had yesterday. Uh, we posted it on there so you can stay updated. Um, anything you like post or tweet or you can, you know, just say like a quick like story and put like hashtag like deny the permit and tag uh, the mayor, tag Lori Lightfoot, uh, tag Sue, you know, so they can see that we have support from a lot of people and a lot of people care about this. Um, also, you can talk to your family. You can talk to people at your workplace that might not be familiar with it. Get other people knowledgeable about the situation, about other things that are happening in Chicago, you know, because if you live far enough and you don't really use social media, you might miss it on the news, you know, so you might not even know about it. And those who are willing can uh, give up something like, I don't know, you can give up eating bread for a day or your favorite candy, or you can just give up eating solids for a day. You can uh, join the solidarity strike that way, or you can ask um, your uh, colleagues at work to maybe join it. And, you know, that's really cool. Just ways of support. Thank you, Melanie. Um, And Trinity, I know that you actually were pretty central to organizing uh, a day of solidarity uh, for students in George Washington. Uh, Maybe you can talk a little bit about like, you know, like what the organizing behind that and how how that came about. Yeah. So um, to second those great points, Melanie, I strongly believe that social media is the best tool, especially during a pandemic to help fight these injustices with us. Um, But for organizing our uh, one day, we call it a one day, sorry, it's always a long, um, you know, it's a long title. One day hunger strike in solidarity with the Southeast Siders um, who are hunger striking. So how we organized that was that we had once again like a bunch of awesome student leaders at George Washington. Once again, the school that's going to be less than a mile away from General Iron. So super closely related. Um, And we actually um, we first started by doing a form. Um, so we had a form um, that participants, people who want to participate would fill out and they would fill in their name, their email, so we can like keep in contact with them for like any further updates or like just letting them know like, hey, we're going to have the one day solidarity strike in a day if they signed up before um, and kind of maybe giving, uh, we gave a little testimonial part in the bottom of the form, um, kind of saying, well, why are you interested in doing this? Like, why do you feel moved to um, do this one day solidarity, <laughs> hunger and solidarity? Um, this one day solidarity strike with us. Um, so that's how we organized that. And then we got all these responses. And on the day of, we actually had, um, I think it's still going around. And you can also find it on my Twitter, which I'll probably put in the chat um, in a bit. But um, we made a template on Canva, which is like a little um, a little flyer making thing. Um, and it was basically a social media post, kind of the same tactic as like an I voted sticker. So it's like I'm participating in a one day fast in solidarity. 
to kind of have that sense of community that, you know, we probably would be able to get if we were organizing this in person, but we didn't organize it in person, we organized it virtually. Um, and we had over 80 students, not only at Washington, but also at other schools like Northside College Prep. They also did a one-day solidarity strike. And some of them did too, because they did it on their own and then they did ours, which is really sweet of them. So yeah, that's how we organized that. And then at the end, we were kind of just like, wow, that was a lot of students. Um, and we kind of did that and that was great. And also our teachers held a one day solidarity strike as well. But that was really empowering to see um, all these students across Chicago coming together against one issue. Yeah, thank you, Trinity. Uh, and I, those uh, like posts, the I student solidarity, I've seen organizations all over the city posting them. So those definitely blew up. Uh, and yeah, just to, to uh, Trinity's point, uh, I think it was President's Day, actually. Uh, there was like a pretty, there was a huge press conference uh, that folks in the Southeast had put together where uh, like CTU members and educators announced that uh, I think something like 80, 80 uh, educators around the city were, were doing a one-day solidarity strike that day alone. Uh, there's been folks in, in you know, we're educators who have, have done it for a week. Obviously, uh, she mentioned Chuck Stark, who has been there since day one on, you know, 21 days and still teaching, uh, kind of continuing my personal narrative that teachers are heroes. Uh, I look at Chuck Stark as a, a prime example of that. Uh, and maybe I can, so another part of the question was kind of like, you know, how, uh, uh, what do you want to see fellow Chicagoans as far as assistance uh, to help, or what do you want to see from fellow Chicagoans as far as assistance and help? I think both of you kind of touched it a, a little bit, but maybe Melanie, one thing that I would ask uh, is, uh, you know, the fact that you've been on, 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 on a hunger strike now that you've seen, you know, like what is the support seeing, you know, educators, seeing, you know, people from the musicians union, seeing high schoolers from the North side, seeing, you know, elected officials uh, who are not in your ward uh, taking part in a, in a hunger strike. Like, what does that mean to you? Like, how, what does that support uh, do mean to you and to the rest of the hunger strikers? You know, I think I can probably speak for everybody that we're so happy and so overwhelmed with all the support. Um, honestly, like, people tweeting at us or like going on Instagram and saying like, Hey, we support you or something like little things like that really do brighten up our days because uh, most of the time we're having a bad time. We just are because we're hungry or our head hurts. We're just having a bad time. So that support that people really care about us and are really behind us because they do want to see changes happen in Chicago and in the Southeast side is, is great. Um, yesterday at the vigil, I was uh, standing next to this older couple and um, the woman, she starts talking to me just kind of like, Oh, Hey, you know, what's your name? You know, just, just starting a conversation with me. And, and then she was just like, Oh, well, it's cool that you came to stand by us. She was like, usually, you know, where me and my husband were the old bunch in the crowd and the younger kids don't like to stand by us. But like Trinity was saying, when they were, uh, when she has organized things, sometimes it's, um, you know, even grade school kids yesterday. Um, I know, uh, Marcy's daughter was there. She's a very young activist, you know, so we, it, it's cool to see that we have from the babies, uh, to the oldest. So that's just, um, this goes throughout the generations. We see something bad happening in our community and we kind of all come together. So the support has come in all types of different forms. And um, it it's just, it's great. Um, 
we're very blessed to have all the support and um, from elected officials too, like uh, alder people and uh, the governor. Like, that's just so cool that people are really, really with us. And that goes back to building a sense of community that we didn't have in the Southeast side. And now we do, and it's expanding and it's great. And we love it and keep it coming, please. Thank you, Melanie. Um, so we have time for probably one or two more questions uh, for the panelists. Um, and then uh, we'll kind of like wrap it up with like a, a kind of a call to action um, as far as like what CDSA members can do to support. Uh, Jordan is uh, asking how far, uh, like is that, I think, I think like how far are you going in the, like in, as far as the, the hunger strike goes, I believe. I think we all have the same goal which is deny the permit and then we will eat. So how far are we going to go? That's up to Lori. So I think that's a great question for her. Maybe you guys can tweet her and she can tell us how far we're going to take this because we're demanding to deny the permit. So. Yeah, I think that's a great question. Yeah. It's like, or that's a great answer uh, to say that, you know, the call is deny the permit and you know, it's, it's up to the mayor. It's up to, uh, Alison Arwadi and the Department of Public Health. Um, but I think that, yeah, those are good questions. I mean, like, like Jordan is kind of hinting at like there, you know, 21 days into a hunger strike, like people aren't supposed to go that long without, uh, without food, without, without supplement. Um, but I guess, uh, one thing I I will say, um, is that, uh, there, you know, there are like daily check-ins that the, and maybe you can talk about that too, Melanie, uh, but there are, you know, the, the hunger strikers do check in on each other. There are like screens as far as like making sure that, you know, folks are doing okay as far as like vitals go. Uh, but maybe you can talk a little bit uh, uh, before I get to this final question in the chat. Maybe you can talk a little bit about what that kind of process is. Like, how do you all keep an eye on each other, make sure that everyone's doing okay? So all of the hunger strikers have a group chat where we kind of just check on each other to make sure how we're doing and say, hey, you know, I'm at Walmart. Uh, does anybody need water? Does anybody need some broth? You know, we're really good with keeping up with each other. Um, but we also have some medics that we can always check in with if we're not feeling well. Um, all of us, um, do have to take our pressure every day. We have to check our vitals, uh, keep record of that, um, you know, for ourselves and the medics, uh, to see how we are doing, we have been good at that. Um, doesn't mean that we're not feeling, you know, sick because like you said, 21 days is a, is a long time to go without food. Um, I'm not on the 21 day. I'm only on the 10th and, uh, it's been pretty hard. So hopefully, um, Dr. Wadi and Lori, uh, care about our health and us going through this in a pandemic and they can <laughs> deny this permit. Yeah, really well put. Um, okay, we have a question um, about, and maybe since uh, this might be for you, Melanie, because you live in in Hegwish and, and Crystal kind of talked about, you know, the the you know the fact that it's like such a heavily uh, Blue Lives Matter type uh, neighborhood. Maybe talking a little bit about the racism that you've experienced in 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 the in the neighborhood around that kind of like Blue Lives Matter support, and and also kind of like the question being like, you know, won't this plant that won't the, these polluters don't they also affect their quality too um it's so kind of like wondering what their what their response has been to this 
I'm actually not sure how the Blue Lives Matter people feel about um, General Iron, but I wouldn't be surprised if they were opposed, like, like if they wanted it to open, like if they were opposed to us, because I think a lot of the same people who have been organizers in stopping General Iron have been organizers for other things like, you know, like the Black Lives Matter uh, marches that we've had. So we kind of collide. Um, I used to be on the Hegwish page where uh, people posted a lot of um, their thoughts and their opinions. I'm blocked off it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, I just kind of don't get along with those community members. They know my stance. It is uh, really tough. Uh, they had a Blue Lives Matter uh, march um, in the summer in Hegwish, which ended up turning into a, a Trump rally. Uh, it was really crazy. Can you repeat your question? I got nervous. <laughs> I think I think you uh, you addressed it. You addressed it well. So there's a, a, a social media toolkit that uh, folks have put together uh, to show support. Um, and actually has a link to uh, to like basically every single one, every single organization that's mentioned there to follow. Um, I'm going to put it in the chat because I know the, the bitly by heart, but it's not, it, you know, can somebody make it pretty so you can, you can click on it. We're going to kick it off to Brian in just a second um, to uh, make that call to action uh, that we were talking about. But before we do, I definitely just want to thank uh, our panelists, I uh, thank Rory from Democratize ComEd. I uh, thank uh, Melanie, of course. Thank you for being on this panel. Thank you for going on this sacrifice of 10 days without food. Uh, and of course, thank you to, to Trinity. Um, and then uh, uh, Chris Daly, who unfortunately had to a, had a, uh, leave a little bit early. But maybe uh, Trinity, if you wouldn't mind having the last word, I mean, kind of addressing, like, addressing that question once more about like what it is that folks can do to kind of like help. Like maybe you had like one call to action uh, from the community, uh, what would that be? I think um, my one call to action, like when people ask me that question, it's like, what can I do to help? Um, is always um, call Lori. Be like, hey, um, this is my name. This is um, where I'm from. This is who I am. Say whatever you'd like. And like, we have a bunch of scripts and tools for you to use and that um, social media toolkit. Um, so not only calling Lori, um, and participating in our Twitter storms to get General Iron, hashtag General Iron, hashtag Deny the Permit Trending, um, but also amplifying and following our hunger strikers who are currently on their fasts, um, amplifying our Twitter at, so at Shy Hunger Strike. Um, very much, I think that our activism is super social media based right now. And obviously that's because we're in a pandemic. Um, but also it's a great way to not only show solidarity for the Stop General Iron campaign, but show solidarity and show love and support to our hunger strikers who, you know, I'm grateful for. I know we're all grateful for on the Southeast side and kind of just sending that love and, you know, keeping them going um, and making sure that like we're providing as much support as we can, um, I think is really useful. Yeah, I think just putting that pressure on Lori calling, you know, um, hashtagging, participating in whatever events. Um, and uh, those will all be listed um, on our Twitter. They post every day. They post. Every, they also have the same ad on Instagram in the Southeast Coalition of Band Petco. So those links um, in the chat that are being dropped right now are super important. And so I highly suggest that y'all go click on those because we can't stop General Iron if 
nobody is um, united. We can't stop gender iron without solidarity across communities, across Chicago, across states. I mean, it could get to that level. We're already here at a hunger strike. You know, we have to keep going. Um, it's sad. It's very, it hurts me. I know it's probably hurting some people on this call that this is happening because we're obviously all very passionate about injustices and solving them and like fixing our communities. But we have to bring this to the mayor. We have to keep getting momentum. We can't stop. Um, yesterday, you know, yesterday I got a little sad. I got a load in my head and I was like, no, we have to keep going. I can't just, I mean, I, it's helpful to take a break if you're having a mental break, <laughs> a mental breakdown. But we really do have to keep the momentum going because Lori is already kind of starting to respond. Um, and we really need to get that out of her. So I encourage everybody to go on that link, um, call her, look at those scripts and post about on post about us on social media. Thank you so much, Trinity. And thank you, Melanie. Um, constantly inspired by the work that the hunger strikers and the rest of the Southeast side community does. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. Uh, there was a really important question that I don't think we addressed about the kind of like parameters of the permit. Um, so uh, there was a permit that was submitted uh, by Geraldine, like the final permit that was uh, deemed uh, in incomplete or insufficient. In in by the city back in December, uh, forcing them to resubmit. So right now, the the, uh, the basically we're waiting on uh, General Iron to resubmit that final permit, and we don't expect the decision to happen until at the very least March because of the period that it goes, uh, you know, looking into it. But uh, the second part of that question: at any point, the mayor and the the Department of Public Health can call on uh, can call on uh, uh, denying the permit. And yes. There is also a federal investigation both against the city of Chicago and also against the Illinois Environmental Protection Agency for allowing the, uh, the zoning to happen in the first place, for allowing that first, uh, that first permit. And so right now, Lori's, Lori and even, even Sue Garza to an extent um, are saying that uh, they want to wait for the federal investigation to happen. That's kind of like them kind of pass the buck, honestly. Um, so I think what Trinity states uh, that, you know, Lori, uh, Arwadi can put an end to this. Um, all they have to do is deny the permit. Um, so I think that's why continuing to put the pressure on there. Um, but yeah, so thank you all so much once again. We're going to kick it off to Brian to kind of bring us home and kind of like uh, talk about what it is that we're doing uh, in Chicago DSA uh, to, show, to show support. And thank you, Yesenia, uh, who's one of the hunger strikers, uh, is in the chat too. Uh, so thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for all you do. Uh, and then go go ahead, Brian. And of course, Rory, you did your excellent job as always. Thanks, Carlos. Thanks, everybody. I don't think uh, anybody's going to be too surprised by what we're going to try to do as CDSA as an act of solidarity, not just the people here tonight, but we'll be reaching out to all our members about this. Um, we've been asked to do a day of solidarity hunger strike on March 1st. So let's join in um, as CDSA. Uh, this Monday, we'll be doing a solidarity hunger strike one day on Monday. Maybe people will join in uh, for the for the long haul. We'll see. Um, but we have some guidelines there, just the most basic kind of health precautions all day. While we're delirious from not eating, um, we'll be calling Lori and leaving her super loopy, weird messages because we're so uh, uh, food deprived. I'm looking forward to sending Alderman Garza a message and telling her how goddamn hungry I am. So yes, everybody, please fill up that form. Let's get those numbers up. We'll have a big day of solidarity on Monday. Thank you, Brian. And thank you all so much for joining us tonight. 
keep an eye on the social media accounts that were thrown in the in the chat. Keep an eye on the the social media toolkit to get uh, get the latest on this struggle. Uh, yeah, thank you all so much, and all power to the hunger strikers. <laughs>